MattCleric.com presents Chasing the Dragon. Welcome to Episode 5 of Chasing the Dragon, a podcast about my first foray into Advanced Dungeons & Dragons 1st Edition. My name is Jason Wood, also known as the Mad Cleric, and you can follow my journey in AD&D on my website, madcleric.com. As we continue to learn the game together, tonight we're going to talk about character creation. My guest tonight is my brother, Jonathan Wood. Uh, Jonathan was a player in my three-year 4th edition D&D game, and while I'm visiting family here in Memphis, Tennessee, he and I sat down last night to go through the basics of character creation together. So as someone who's also new to the system, I thought I'd uh, chat with him about that. Thanks for uh, joining me tonight, Jonathan. You're welcome. So give us a quick timeline of your RPG experiences. What was your first RPG, and what have you explored uh, since then? Uh, so first RPG I played was the old Star Wars RPG. The WEG? Is it a D6 system, or...? It's been a long time. I don't remember. Uh, we played it incorrectly, pretty much on purpose. It was me and our youngest brother. Um, and then I didn't play anything for several years after that. I went to college, played a bit of Pathfinder, and then uh, got into uh, fourth edition with you. Okay. And since then, I played uh, some of the new Star Wars RPG, Numenera, Alternity, and couple other random systems, just like one-off games. How deep did you get into Pathfinder in college? Uh, so it was it was sort of a, an interesting campaign they were running where they had a lot of experienced players um, who had a story that was ongoing where they were, you know, this crew on this ship, and then anybody who wanted to join in could roll up a character and join in for a session or two. So I probably played, you know, once a month for a couple semesters. Okay, so that was, that was really your first... Serious engagement with any role-playing prior to our 4th edition D&D games. So in which uh, game have you enjoyed uh, character creation the most, and uh, what set that game's character creation apart? Uh, for me, it would probably be Numenera. Um, and what set it apart is that there's just so much fluidity in how you can create your characters. Well, for the for the listeners who perhaps aren't familiar with Numenera, which I think is a Monty Cook game, I think he was the the head designer on that. Tell tell them a little bit about Numenera, the setting, and and what they were uh, putting together there. Okay, I only played like half a campaign minute, so I don't know too much. Uh, essentially, the setting was it, it was very reminiscent of the uh, the Dark Tower series, just sort of this combination of magic and technology in a somewhat post apocalyptic world. Uh, was the game we were playing. Um, so, uh, my character in that was 40-something-year-old assassin who was disguised as a 13-year-old girl all the time. Uh, one of our uh, teammates was a were-bearicorn, so turned into a half-bear, half-unicorn at the full moon. Uh, so, just all sorts of random elements thrown together, and it was kind of a cluster. So, how, so tell us about character creation in Numenera. What, what set it apart from the other games you'd experienced? Uh, definitely the openness of it. Like I said, one character was a were-baracorn. There was nothing in the books that any of us had seen about baracorns or were-anythings. Um, but that's what she wanted to play, so that's what she played. Uh, I wanted to base my character off of uh, a character from an anime I was watching at the time. So 
But he's kind of pick and chose different things to kind of create that character. Uh, there's not really classes per se. There are three sort of generalized groups. And so you choose that generalized group, you choose an adjective for your character that defines different powers you get later on. But basically within that group and that adjective, whatever you want to do with that is up to you. So why did you like character creation in that system so much? Uh, to me, one of the most important elements of role-playing games is being able to say screw you to reality and generally to the GM and just do whatever you want to do. It's sort of, it is the libertarian utopia where you're free to do what you like. There will be consequences, but you have to deal with, but you also get to deal with them. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I like pushing the boundaries. Uh, Jonathan, if, if you want to put him as a player into a player category, I think it would be fair to call him a min-maxer. Um, yeah, generally. Who, he's, he's going to try to exploit one area, uh, often to his deep detriment in another um, which I figured out a way to exploit from time to time in our D&D campaign. So um, I think for me, my favorite character creation experience was in uh, FFG's Star Wars RPG, which is the, the current Star Wars RPG that's out there. And what I love about character creation in that game is that they found a way not merely to emphasize the fluff side of it, but the fluff and the crunch are integrated into one another. Um, and so you have kind of these underwriting motivations and uh, backstory that uh, actually affects your character in gameplay. And as you're putting the character together, just going step by step through the book, it's, it's writing a story for you. And so in terms of a player, I, I tend to be more toward the, I want to I read uh, or experience a good story. I want to see a story play out that, um, is compelling, and the Star Wars RPG character creation really um, lays the, the foundation for that, and you're really writing a story as you're kind of creating that character. Um, that's what stands out to me about that um, that system and, and its character creation that's process. That's kind of interesting, too, because you, know, you're, you're, you like it because you're kind of creating this backstory as you go along, mm-hmm. um, and all the elements of the character creation is the creation of the backstory. Whereas the one I enjoy the most is where you put the least thought into the past as you can. Uh, I think I, I like that because I can then kind of make up backstory as needed right. throughout the game. So I think at the end of the day, what, what you're going to find is, you know, whoever's listening, your, your appreciation of character creation in a game is probably going to be largely dependent upon the kind of game you like to play and the sort of characters that you like to, uh, to create. So last night we sat down and you created a first level assassin for Advanced Dungeons and Dragons first edition. So what seemed unique to you? So you you, you created characters for Pathfinder for D and D fourth edition, Numenera, and Alternity. So this is your fifth game to create a character for. Yeah, Star Wars RPG. Oh yeah, Star Wars RPG as well. So this is the sixth sixth game then. Yeah. So what was unique? Uh, about character creation in this game compared to the others that you played? Uh, aside from Alternity, it had the most dice rolls needed on the character sheet. Alternity was pretty similar, like, you know, in, in AD&D, you had to roll dice for all the ability scores and several other things throughout, like the money and stuff like that. And you had to do something similar on Alternity, but... 
what separates it from Alternity is in Alternity there are about 10, 15,000 different skills, it seems like. Mm-hmm. Um, and even in you know, D&D 4th Edition or any of the other games, really, outside of Numenera, there's like this, this static list of all these different skills. Whereas in, in this one, while, yes, you're, you're left up to chance as to what your abilities are, more or less, or what, ability, what scores you can choose from, uh, how you use those abilities and what skills you have is basically whatever you can kind of come up with on your own. Yeah, there's no, uh, there's no nature check, and that's what we experienced in our first mini-session um, for AD&D after we did character creation with, with my uh, new group. Um, they were in a forest. They came upon some beasts in the woods. Whereas in fourth edition, you would just roll a nature check uh, to to see what it was, or shoot it, or shoot it. Right? They had none of that, and so they had to actually try to sneak down in there and see what the animal was and figure out what it might be. There's more, uh, as I heard on, uh, I think it's the, uh, I the name of the podcast. It's not Save or Die, but it's a it's a related uh, podcast for for AD and D first edition. That it's it's role playing as opposed to role playing. R-O-L-E versus R-O-L-L. And in 4th edition and other games, it's all based on the roll of the dice, how you figure it out. But in this game, you're forced to problem solve and actually apply yourself to the puzzle. Right. Um, so, but yeah, there's a, so for those who are listening who have not created an AD&D character, there are no skills. You have your six abilities, that's it. <laughs> and you got to go from there. So that, yeah. that jumped out at you. So I, I'm not familiar with Alternity. What is Alternity and, and uh, what, what's it about? Um, so Alternity is really, it's an interesting game. It's, it's almost like a framework for multiple different types of games. Um, so there, there are different eras in time that you can play in, uh, ranging from like a pirate themed game to a space pirate themed game and anything in between. Uh, so when we were playing, it was almost set up like a, uh, Firefly or Serenity type setting. So a, a space Western, um, and I actually have my character sheet here. Uh, first page is all of my weapons, my combat, my movement, all of my stats. And then the next, uh, six pages are all skills. Okay, so it's got, yeah. it's got, you said 10,000 to 15,000 skills. I mean, that's, that's hyperbole, but it's, it's not by much. I mean, there are about, you know, 200 skills. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, knowing when to choose whether you need to use zero gravity or low gravity or normal gravity skill checks. And, of course, the DM doesn't necessarily tell you. You kind of guess which one you need to use. Right. But uh, it's uh, it's very involved, and it's very definitely an ROLL playing uh, well, it's, game. It seems like um, Pathfinder, one of the things that really drew people to Pathfinder from 4th edition D&D is that you not only had a lot of skills, but you could even specialize your skills. Like, you could get them narrower and narrower and narrower. Um, and, and really, that that's a very different experience from, from what you're seeing in A, B, and D, having just hundreds and hundreds of skills. Yeah. Um, so, um, for those of you who are listening, just the basic process of creating a character for A, B, and D, and I'm not looking at the book here in front of me, you know, in some games you would say, okay, well, I kind of want to play a halfling cleric um, who focuses on these kinds of spells. Doesn't work that way. Um, you're going to roll dice to determine what your characteristics are. Um, and based upon that, you're limited as to what class you can be, what race you can be, uh, and a whole host of things are affected by uh, random dice rolls. Um, 
how did that strike you, Jonathan? Did you find that limiting? Uh, because really, every from everything from there out, like your, your race choice, your class choice, um, even how much money you had and what weapons you could buy was determined by uh, dice. So it, it is not you come to the to the table with an idea of a character. Um, you come and the dice tell you. So how did that strike you as a player being kind of more leaning toward uh, min-maxing? Uh, oh, man, I had good rolls, which helped. <laughs> <laughs> um, it actually reminded me a lot of... Uh, a computer game I like to play, the Standing Stones uh, Dungeon Crawl game. Uh, it's not quite as shoehorned in the computer game. Basically, you choose your class or your race, but depending on... You can choose whichever one you want first, but depending on which one you choose, it limits what you can choose from the other. It limits what deities you can choose to follow, things like that. Uh, it was a lot more uh, limiting in AD&D. Like I said, my, my roles are really good. Uh, I think the only thing I couldn't do was be a... Was like a, I couldn't be a halfling. You couldn't be a strength score. Yeah, and you like couldn't that. be. A, I don't think you could be a ranger either. I couldn't be a ranger either. Yeah. So I mean, I, I was I was kind of leaning towards something more dastardly than that anyway. So yeah. It wasn't too big of a deal for me. Um, I can see if you had some terrible roles, that uh, you're probably not going to enjoy the game anyway. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, I think it just forces you to think differently about the game. I mean. You know, as as some of the past guests on the podcast have talked about, um, AD and D can be a little bit of a meat grinder. So it doesn't matter what you roll up; you could still just get destroyed. Especially if you're playing something like Tomb of Horrors or Mordenkainen's Fantastic Adventure. But um, you know, some of these games are just going to chew you up and spit you out, whether you got one hit point or six. Um, and then, and for many, that's the problem: is that the max you can have is like four. If you're a magic user, four hit points. That's the most you're getting. Um, and so you better hope that D4 rolls rolls well for you. Um, Which actually kind of reminds me of the campaign IDM that you played in. Uh, the first one where I told everybody I have two character sheets when we started. Right. Uh, we ended up with five players and 13 different characters playing in that mm-hmm. in eight weeks. No, I think that, uh, I think that's perfectly fair. And I think if you're going to play AD&D, you just got to set your expectations. Mm-hmm. That your character very probably will, will die. die. Yeah. Um, and you're not going to have much to say about it because a lot of it will be based on dice rolls. That said, it doesn't mean you can't have a compelling character. Um, I really like the secondary skills table that's in the Dungeon Master's Guide. I highlighted that in a blog post earlier, um, where you can roll a D100 to see what your character's background is. And what was your character's background? It was animal husbandry. Oh, yeah, animal husbandry, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, even though it's randomized, there's still a little bit of fluff there. Uh, not only to help you in kind of developing the character's backstory, but also I think a good GM will pay attention to that and will give you a bonus here or there if you happen to be, you know, interacting with people on a farm or something like that. It's like, you know, my, my Star Wars role-playing game character is a terrible character. I made him as a joke just to kind of take you off, but I still try my best to keep him alive because I put so much into building that character. Right. With AD&D, you know, it's all dice rolls that's affecting everything about it. So even if this character dies, I'm not going to be upset about it because I can roll, you know, 20 dice and have a new character already ready to go. Right. The vested interest, though, I think, comes from the, the characters that survive. Yeah. The characters that survive, you start getting in, into, like, level 4, 5, and 6. That's when I think you start having a little more vested interest in what happens to them. Yeah, I just don't see myself getting that far. <laughs> <laughs> Only time will tell. Well, what did you enjoy about the process of character creation? 
Well, I was at, there were things that I definitely would have enjoyed if you had allowed me to. Mm-hmm. Uh, for so, example, there, I'm a hateful, yeah. angry GM that imposes my will on on their players. Yeah, we have we have all these limits and things, you know, things that we can't do based on dice rolls. One of the things that's not limited by the by the manual is height. And I wanted my half-elven assassin to be, like, 30 feet tall. <laughs> It'd be perfect, you know? Everybody think they're hiding behind a tree from a real assassin. Like, he could have some mouthy guys, you know, his decoy, and they're, you know, hiding behind his leg, and he's reaching out and stabbing them on top of the head. It'd be perfect. Yes, yeah, so we found an oversight. We found an oversight in the uh, in the process. I'm sure one of you listeners out there could probably point us to another book uh, that will uh, yeah. limit the, the height of half-elves. But the, the half-elf height was not included. That, that's a lame book anyway. <laughs> but, I mean, we ended up, he's, you know, he's 7'2 and 80 pounds, yeah. which is it's ridiculous. And I, I chose those I, I thought, because I thought it's awesome. <laughs> I thought that was uh, pretty lenient of me as a GM to let you have a 7-foot-tall half-elf. Well, there's humans who are 7 feet tall or and, you know, it's half-elf. It doesn't say human-elf. It could be a giant-elf. True, true, you true. Know. So what did you enjoy about the process then? <laughs> Making a 7 2 80 <laughs> uh, no, it was, uh, it was a little tedious, especially at the beginning with all the dice rolls and all the various things that had to be written in the tiny boxes. Like, whatever those... I mean, that's part of it, too, is I don't know what most of these things mean. You actually had the player's handbook. Haven't read the player's handbook. Haven't played the game. After I play the game, a few sessions, I think it make a lot more sense to be a lot less tedious. But you know, there's there's strange strange fields like fart that <laughs> I that I wrote a number in. I don't know what it's going to be used for. What was that for? Find and remove traps. Yeah. If if anybody from Dragon's Foot is listening, you really should change the uh, yeah. the acronym you're using for find and remove traps. Yeah. So definitely does fart on it. So we're using the Dragon's Foot uh, character sheet. Which is the best one I've found, but there's still a few fields lacking in it and a bunch of extra stuff that we didn't really use yet. So I haven't found the, the perfect character sheet just yet. Yeah, yeah, it's just lots of, lots of writing small numbers that I may never actually read and lots of dice rolling. So it was kind of tedious, but once we got past that initial part where actually I'm, you know, I'm looking at classes, I'm looking at race, I'm kind of plotting out what this character is going to be like, that's, that's really more of what I enjoyed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, what and what did you enjoy about that part? Uh, I like the creativity of being able to create a separate identity, because um, that's one of the things I really enjoyed. What I was saying earlier about about these games is, you know, I go to work forty hours a week and I have to be somewhat serious there, and you know, I have to drive for a couple hours a day without killing people. So sometimes, you know, once a week or twice a month, I like to sit down and play a role-playing game where I can go out and murder pedestrians. <laughs> Which has happened in our games. That happened last week. <laughs> we won't talk about that for fear that our GM will uh, will, will respond with great wrath. Who happens to be our brother. The youngest, the youngest yeah. It was pretty awesome, though. It was. We killed everyone. <laughs> yeah, we did. Yeah, we we embraced the murder hobo stereotype of a role-playing party and just went for it. So, where did you feel like you were left looking for more, either in terms of understanding, which you talked about a little bit already, or in terms of enjoyment? Where would you have liked it to have been different or more fun? Um, I wouldn't mind slightly adapting the ability score uh, roles. So, like, for that, you know, I rolled, was it, 46, four times, took the lowest one out, and then uh, those were... Yeah, six times. Six times, yeah. And then use those as my scores for the abilities. Uh, in fourth edition, you know, you have like a set number of skill points that you can add, subtract from. I wouldn't mind kind of combining those two. So do all the rolls 
and then you know have a little bit of play with those numbers. So what's interesting in the Dungeon Master's Guide, which I have here at my right hand, always inside your purse. Yes, my man purse. Um, there are actually several options that are given for how to determine those uh, characteristics. So here, I'll, the, the weeded method one, which is um, 46 are rolled, and the lowest die, or one of the lower, is discarded. And then you can assign those wherever you want. Right. There are three other methods that are, are allowed. Uh, the second one is 3d6 are rolled 12 times, and the highest six scores are retained. Okay. Um, which might not be any better. Um, marginally, maybe. Yeah. Method three is scores rolled are according to each ability category in order. So you roll for strength, for intelligence, for wisdom, for dexterity, constitution, charisma, in order. Yeah. 3d6 are rolled six times for each ability, oh, wow. and the highest score in each category is retained for that category. Um, that would take a while. But you it would take a while. That one definitely is the most uh, kid-friendly. Yeah. Um, and then method four is 3d6 are rolled sufficient times to generate the six ability scores in order for 12 characters. Wait, what? So you just roll a 3d6, that's your strength score. Roll 3d6, that's your intelligence. You do that enough times to have 12 characters. And then the player selects the single set of scores which he or she finds most desirable, and these scores are noted on the character record sheet. So you roll 72 times. You roll 72 times, yeah. So that's like the punishment one. Yeah. I know, yeah, yeah, 72 times. I mean, I don't know. Method one seemed to me... The simplest. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think method three, uh, for those who are kind of squeamish about um, determining their characteristics, that might be a good way to do it. Um, yeah, I, I kind of like, uh, I think it was number three. Where you go in order and you yeah. roll, yeah. And what, I mean, if, if, if you have to roll, if you can't choose, you know, like a set number out of a pool, you know, if you have to, if you have to roll for the skills, I say make it completely out of your hands. Yeah. Yeah, because that's kind of like being born. You have, you know, maybe you're born with no intelligence. Now, I think it was Jeff Romo over at Inroads uh, Ministries. He's a he's GM this game over there. He recommended just going straight out. You roll three d six in order, one time for each. Yeah, that, that's what I was yeah. meaning. Yeah. Yeah, just go, just go for it a hundred percent. Yeah. Um, there's nothing wrong with that either. But I like method one. I, I will likely try the different methods with later groups, but um, I'm still kind of kind of easing my way uh, into this. Um, I've done character creation for three characters for myself. Um, I've walked through it with seven players now, and I'm still learning little things. It's kind of like with the height thing on the elves. There are little inconsistencies here and there or just unclear parts. Like one of the questions that we faced when our group was doing character creation the other night was how many spells do magic users begin with? And so based upon their intelligence, um, it, it says there's a minimum number of skills per level, which made me assume, oh, well, if you have, I think it's like a 14 intelligence, then you have start with seven spells. <laughs> That's the minimum level of spells per level. Um, but no, it doesn't work like that. Elsewhere, I think in the Dungeon Master's Guide, it tells you that every uh, magic user begins with a spell book that has four spells in it. And it emphasizes, and only four spells. 
So it's a little bit baffling, and you kind of can piece it together and debate. I'm sure there are lots of uh, posts on the Dragon's Foot forums debating those sorts of things, but that's the thing that I found that I wish could have been better. But at the same time, you got to remember, this is really a groundbreaking RPG. They hadn't been to the races before on this, um, and so you can expect there are going to be some hiccups that would get cleared up in later games. So, you know, with Numenera, with Star Wars RPG, what we're reaping now is the benefit of the mistakes these guys made uh, that, that have been improved on over the years. But I, I want to emphasize, I, I really don't think character creation is broken in this game. Um, I think it works fine. I think it's really smooth, and I've enjoyed it. Um, uh, as I said, I've rolled up three characters that are not probably ever going to be played, just to kind of figure it out. And I like the process of character creation. It's pretty fun. Yeah, I, I found character creation in, in AD&D to be better than, in, for example, Alternity. Really? Um, because, like I said, there's... 10 bajillion uh, skills. And while those abilities are largely determined, those scores are largely determined by your ability scores, uh, you still have to go through and write all those in. Right. Well, at this point, now that you've done character creation once for AD&D, if we were to sit down tonight and do it again, how long do you think it would take you to create a character? Depends on how much of beer I drink first. <laughs> <laughs> Let, let's say the one beer you've got right now. Uh, probably about 15 minutes. Yeah, I don't think it would be that difficult. Mainly because I'd be wanting to read through some of the racial and class-specific stuff. Right, exactly. Um, so we're going to be playing here hopefully in a couple of months. Um, as someone who's coming to AD&D with, with significant knowledge of D&D lore and that sort of thing already, what are you hoping to get out of that experience? Are our fellow players going to watch this? Uh, it's possible. <laughs> I definitely don't want to murder all of them. <laughs> <laughs> it's not like he rolled up an assassin character, which the uh, player's handbook says must have evil alignment. So I'm really hoping somebody has a paladin in the group. Oh, that's going to be awesome. <laughs> I need like a lead plate. <laughs> that's what Belcar uses. Um, sorry, what was the question again? What, do you, what, what are you hoping to uh, enjoy in your experience of AD&D? What are you hoping to experience? It's kind of like... Uh, you know, growing up, I played Chrono Trigger uh, on the Super NES. I played, you know, The Legend of Zelda games, stuff like that. But when I was a little bit older, I went back and played that first Final Fantasy game. And, you know, a lot of things kind of split off from that, um, that legacy. And actually being able to go back, even though the game actually kind of sucks, being able to go back and play it and just sort of experience for the first time, you know, what somebody experienced before I was born and sort of changed their perspective and led to these other awesome things later on. Uh, just, just that experience of being able to, you know, walk where the wise men once tried. Mm-hmm. Also, you know, I, when I DM, I, I always make an active effort to kill all of my players. <laughs> and it really sounds like that was the way Gygax intended it to be. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is, his group is the one who will be experiencing Tomb of Horrors um, at some time. Uh, I'll probably give them a, give them a few low-level modules to go through first. So but, you can learn how to play? Yes, yeah, so you can learn how to play before I throw you into the, uh, the old meat grinder. Third room, you get attacked by 10 level 40 dragons or something. <laughs> I don't know. I have it ready yet. It's possible. Hey, kept Sias alive. I can do anything. There you go. There you go. Um, so anything you'd like to uh, share in closing to our listeners who are learning AD&D? Don't be disheartened when you die. Because <laughs> you will die. We all die. Over and over. 
But the more you die, the more you learn how not to die, so you can stay alive longer the next time. And I'm assuming that works in AD&D. It works in every other game. Um, it's gotten to the point where if I don't like a character, I have to try intentionally to get them killed. Because, you know, once you learn how to build characters, you learn how to keep them alive real easily. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually, I had to conspire with the with my GM one time to kill the character because I just hated playing this character. <laughs> Did lava come into the equation? Uh, no, uh, it was a deus ex machina type attack where the, the giant sandworm just like ate me while we were walking. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever gets the job done. Well, if any of you out there have any questions about character creation or about AD&D as a system, don't hesitate uh, to give me a holler on Twitter. I'm at wood underscore Jason D. Um, you can also email me at jason at madcleric.com. And Jonathan, how can our listeners get in touch with you if they'd like to learn the art of min-maxing or uh, all the other things that you are an expert at. Uh, they can email you and you can pass it on to me. There you go. That'll work. Also, I'm single. <laughs> That's for all you who are watching on video out there. And keep it up, everybody. Keep digging into AD&D and whatever games you're enjoying. And don't forget to keep on chasing that dragon. Drivers, you can check out their music at lamedrivers.com.